Morning, Church. The Bible reading today is from John three twenty-two to 36, which is on page 862 of the Pew Bibles. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John was also was baptising at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, well, good morning and welcome. Let me pray for us as we continue our series on the Gospel according to John. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you continue to speak to us in your word. We thank you for the Gospel. Uh, we thank you that by reading the Gospel and hearing your word, uh, we can continue to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to die for us, so that by believing in him, we might have eternal life. Father, we pray that you'll be with us as we open up scripture. May we hear you speak to us, that you'll continue to encourage us and challenge us to live for Jesus and to point others to the bridegroom. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, have you ever been photobombed, maybe by a dog at the beach? Or a giraffe at the zoo? What about a pufferfish in the sea? Or a stingray at the beach? Now, when an animal photobombs you, it's forgivable. They're just animals. What can you expect? Uh, But when it's your wedding and some random guy photobombs you, uh, like when you're having a moment at the beach and a guy in his togs jumps into frame, or when you're taking a family photo and a guy walks right in front of you, it's a bit more annoying. Uh, Now, being uh, photobombed can be funny, sometimes it's unintentional. Uh, But the fact is, it doesn't matter too much when you're photobombed, does it? Uh, After all, it's only a photo and you can always take another one. Uh, But there are moments when someone gets in the way and steals your thunder. Someone comes out of nowhere and takes the limelight from you. Uh, So a couple years ago at the Tokyo, uh, after the Tokyo Olympics, Mio Goto was part of the uh, Japan softball team uh, that beat America in the finals. And so when she returned to her hometown in Nagoya to celebrate, 
The mayor takes a bite of her gold medal like he had won it himself, even though he was, it was during the height of the COVID pandemic. Uh, so instead of celebrating in uh, Goto's uh, victory, uh, the mayor wanted a piece of the glory. There's a photo of it on the screen um, as well. Uh, or, or take the uh, Bengal uh, governor and minister in India. Uh, they jostled with the soccer players who actually won the cup so that they could be front and centre with the trophy. You can see them pushing the soccer players away so that they could hold the trophy. Uh, but there's a story about a wedding that takes the cake. The father of the groom brought his new girlfriend uh, to his son's wedding. Not only did she wear a floor-length off-white dress, she walked down the aisle and got in the way of the groom. Now in today's passage, John the Baptist could have been photobombed. Uh, 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 he could have photobombed Jesus, as it were. He could have made himself the centre of attention, but he doesn't. He's not like the mayor or governor, and he's certainly not like the groom's dad's girlfriend. John the Baptist knows his place, and at the center of God's plan isn't him. At the center of God's plan is Jesus. And as we look at the way John the Baptist thinks about Jesus and himself, it will challenge us about the way we think about ourselves and how we fit into the purposes and plans of God. What place does Jesus have in our lives? Is he the front and center? Or do we photobomb Jesus? and take center stage and live life like it's all about us. Now today's passage can be broken up into three uh, main sections. Verses 22 to 24, you have the situation. Uh, 25 to 30 is the comparison. And 31 to 36, once again we hear a comment from the Apostle John, uh, the author of the Gospel, about the conversation. We'll then conclude with some reflection. So first, the situation. Now, you remember last week, uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and, and at night, Nicodemus comes and has this conversation with him. Uh, but now we're told sometime after this, Jesus and his disciples leave Jerusalem. They head to the Jordan River, and Jesus' disciples baptize people in the water. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Uh, we're not told here who is doing the baptizing, but we'll find out in chapter 4. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. So our understanding is that John the Baptist, he was uh, further north uh, where he baptized Jesus, but now he's come further south. Uh, and uh, in verse 24, this was before John was put in prison. And you might remember uh, that Herod eventually arrests uh, John the Baptist and beheads him. So John is still in ministry at this point. This is before his death. Now we know that Jesus didn't actually baptize anyone. Uh, we know this because of chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. Uh, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So uh, here you have this strange situation uh, where Jesus' ministry overlaps with the ministry of John the Baptist. So as John the Baptist baptized people, so also at this point in history, Jesus, his disciples are also baptizing people. Uh, so as John the Baptist baptized people and pointed them to Jesus, the Lamb of God, so Jesus' disciples also baptized people and pointed people to Jesus, the Messiah. And, and so it's almost like that there are 
at this point in history, the beginning of two churches, as it were. Two churches that were pointing people to the same Lord, to the same Lamb, to the same Messiah. So you had John the Baptist pointing people to Jesus. You had Jesus' disciples pointing people to Jesus through their work and ministry of baptism. And so then what happens? What happens when there are two things going on at the same time? Human instinct is you start comparing the two. Now, we don't know what, um, uh, who started the argument and started doing the comparison, uh, but John's disciples and a certain Jew have an argument over ceremonial washing. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So we don't know who really started the conversation and that started arguing about the ceremonial washing. My guess is that John's disciples saw the Jew participating in some purification rites, or they saw the Jew uh, uh, ceremonially washing his hands before he eats, like we, we hear about in Mark chapter 7, in keeping with the traditions of the elders. And, and I suspect what they did was that they saw this man doing ceremonial washing and, and, and tells him that you don't need clean hands but a pure heart. Uh, you don't need to wash your hands ceremonially uh, to get into God's good books. What you need is to repent of your sins and to follow Jesus. But the argument goes nowhere. So what began with an argument with a certain Jew has now grown into a group of them. Uh, so they go to John the Baptist to settle the score. But the issue morphs from ceremonial washing to what happened, uh, what, what appears to be a red herring. Uh, verse 26, they came. See, so it's plural now. It was a certain Jew, but now it's plural. They are a bunch of Jews who participate or believe in ceremonial washing. They come to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. So the Jews now compare the ministry of John the Baptist with the ministry of Jesus' disciples. And, and they've noticed that everyone, you notice that word, everyone's going to Jesus' disciples, uh, which isn't a, just a great exaggeration, but completely untrue. But that happens all the time, doesn't it, in arguments? Where we use words in our arguments that we don't really mean, that we know are untrue. Now, as a caveat, I, I tried to find an equivalent uh, for men, but I couldn't. But the reality is that it can apply to both men and women. So at the risk of getting into trouble with Kylie later, uh, here it is. Five deadly terms used by women in an argument. Uh, the first one is fine. So when a woman in, in an argument says fine, uh, this is the word a woman uses to end an argument, we're told, when she knows she's right and you should shut up. Uh, the bonus word at the end says, wow. So when a woman uses the word wow in an argument, it's not a compliment. She's amazed that one person could be so stupid. Now, just to be clear, Kylie doesn't use these words like this. Uh, she's a very godly woman. I'm very blessed to be married to her. So if we go back to the, our passage, why would the Jews say everyone... Everyone's going to Jesus' disciples to be baptized. Well, what are they trying to say? What are they implying? What do they mean by that? Well, they're indirectly saying to John the Baptist that no one's coming to you. Everyone's going to Jesus' disciples. No one's coming to you. Your, your, your ministry is hopeless. You're redundant. You're useless. 
No one's coming to you anymore. Everyone's going over there. You see, they're upset that their practice of ceremonial washing is being questioned. And so what do they do? They try and hurt John the Baptist and make him feel pathetic and little and insignificant. Now, I know this passage isn't a lesson on how to have godly arguments. It's far more important than that. But nevertheless, there's a lot we can learn from John the Baptist, isn't there? In the way in which he engages arguments. Because we all have arguments, whether at work or at home, whether amongst friends or family. And so a word of advice, if you're in the heat of the moment and you're arguing about something, don't go off on tangents and use extreme language like you see these Jews do. Like saying, but you never take out the bins. Or you always forget to put the toilet seat down. Or or say things that you don't mean or being sarcastic, like saying, go ahead, when you really mean, I dare you. And definitely don't compare them with someone else, whether you do that verbally or in your head, and think, that other person is so much better than you. I wish I married that person instead of you. Don't do that. Be on point, resolve the argument, resolve the issue at hand. But more than that, be fair. Don't use extreme language that's untrue. Don't seek to belittle or hurt for the sake of winning points, for the sake of one-upmanship. Don't do those things. Don't do what these Jews were doing to to, to John the Baptist. Notice how John the Baptist responds, though. Notice what he says. He he doesn't begin by making excuses. Oh, oh, but if you count all the people we've baptized in the past for the last few years, we we still outnumber them. We've done a great job. Or or he doesn't feel threatened. He doesn't uh, say, oh, oh, but but I've got a decent crowd still. Like, not everyone's going there. Like, I've still got some people coming to me for baptism. You, You see, John sees the situation not from a human's perspective, but from God's perspective. Verse 27. To this John replied, he says to these Jews who are trying to belittle him, trying to hurt him, trying to make him uh, feel useless, John replies with these words, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You, You see, what John understands is that every gift, every ability, every talent, every every opportunity, you don't deserve it. It's given to you by God. They're all gifts from God. And if we've exercised them in a God-honoring and God-fearing way, then we've received our due. And so God might, might, might have made you more logical, but your spouse more emotional. And when you have an argument, you don't, you get, a, you don't get why they don't follow your logic and, and come to the same conclusion. And, and they're frustrated with your lack of empathy. But God has made us different. Not just with different gifts and personalities, but with different purposes as well. And John the Baptist gets this. He knows his place in the grand scheme. He's not the Messiah. He's a prophet who prepares the way for the Messiah. He's not the Lamb of God, but the one who points people to the one who takes away the sins of the earth. And so John the Baptist doesn't get upset by the Jews. He's not feeling useless or threatened by the growing ministry of Jesus' disciples. He's full of joy because he knows he's like the best man to the bridegroom. 
on his big wedding day. Verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Now, as Australians, you'd know that we suffer from a syndrome. And that syndrome is the tall poppy syndrome. When someone rises to the top and everyone's looking up to them, we're filled with jealousy, we're filled with envy, and there's a growing innate desire for us to take them down, to put them in their place. And so we reveal their flaws so that people can see they're not perfect, they're not that great, uh, to compare them with others and say, and show them that they're not as good as they think they are, or as people claim they are. But John the Baptist doesn't suffer from the tall poppy syndrome. Not because he's not Australian, but because he's a godly man. He's full of joy because the bridegroom has arrived. Now in the Old Testament, the metaphor for the bride and bridegroom is used in the relationship to describe God and Israel, God and his people. Hosea chapter 1 and 2 is an example, but here's a verse from Isaiah chapter 62 verse 5, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. And now that God has come in the form of a man, the bridegroom has come. He's come for his bride. And John the Baptist's job is the best man's job. He's the best man. That, and that means telling Israel who the bridegroom is. Hey bride, your bridegroom is Jesus. And when the bride recognizes the bridegroom and the bride wants to wholly devote herself to the bridegroom and follow the bridegroom, the best man's happy, isn't he? His, his job's done. His joy's complete. In fact, in Jewish marriage custom, the best man doesn't just uh, 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 lead the bridegroom to the bride, but when they consummate their marriage, he sits outside the bridal chamber and he waits. And when the marriage is consummated and the bridegroom uh, is over the moon because he's married a virgin, the work of the best man is complete and shares in the groom's joy. I'm so glad that that's not our custom, but that was the Jewish custom at that time. And so it was for John the Baptist. The bridegroom has come, people are repenting and following Jesus as their bridegroom. And so far from feeling jealousy, as he witnesses the increasing success of Jesus' ministry and the waning of his own ministry, and even when others try to goad him and stir him into having ill feelings, he's able to genuinely rejoice from the bottom of his heart because he gets it. He gets his place in God's salvific plan. And he doesn't just tolerate it, he embraces it. He doesn't try to photobomb Jesus, as it were. He's full of joy. We see this in verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. What godly words from John the Baptist. Now verse 30 appears to be the end of the argument. Uh, the, the end of the conversation between John the Baptist uh, and the Jews. And so what we have now from verses 31 to 36 are the author's comments. 
uh, the comments made by the Apostle John who authored the Gospel. And so just as he made some comments after Jesus' conversation we saw last week with Nicodemus, uh, so here he makes some comments after John the Baptist's comment, uh, conversation with the Jews. And, and his point is simple. His point is that John the Baptist is right. John the Baptist is right in saying what he said, in feeling what he felt. Because there's a qualitative difference between John the Baptist and Jesus. John's from earth, Jesus is from heaven. John's a human prophet, Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. You see, Jesus has come to speak the words of God, and what he says is what God says. For he has the Spirit of God without limit. And so to accept what he says is to believe in God. And to believe in God's Son is to have eternal life. Verse 32. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. After Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, the church rightly understood Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as the bride of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, for example, wants nothing more than for us to know Christ as our bridegroom. But not only that, for us as the church, the bride of Christ, to be as pure as a pure virgin, holy and blameless, we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. You see, our joy must be like the joy of John the Baptist and our desire like the desire of the Apostle Paul. And it is for everyone to know Jesus as their husband, and for the church to be found pure as a virgin. And part of what that means for us this morning is to know our place in God's salvific plan, to exercise our roles and our gifts to point, Je uh, to point people to Jesus, just like John the Baptist did. And now that's going to be different for each one of us. For some of us, we still need to work out what it, that means, well, what it means uh, to give some things a go. To, to work out what our gifts are, what our talents are. Maybe it is uh, applying some of the secular training we've had in a Christian context to use and exercise our gifts in our church. And so for some of us, it might be preaching or praying, hospitality or housekeeping, singing or serving on the parish council. And so what we must do is to faithfully do the work of God, the work that God has entrusted to us, the work that he's given us the privilege to partake in. And when others do it better than us, 
Let's not suffer from the tall poppy syndrome, but to celebrate what God's doing in them and through them in the name of Jesus, with the gifts God's given them to further his kingdom. And so when we're tempted to think, I wish God gave me uh, this gift or that gift, that I could preach and not do administration, or that I could sing and not do IT, let's remember that John the Baptist didn't desire the more prominent ministry of another. As one commentator puts it, it is a sign of true godliness and Christian maturity when we rejoice in the achievement of others. And when we're tempted to receive the praise of men at the expense of Jesus, no matter how innocent we think our motives are, let's get out of the way and not photobomb Jesus like the animals. Let's point people to Jesus and not be like the groom's father's girlfriend and try to be their centre of attention. And so when another evangelical church down the road who, that preached Christ crucified grows more quickly than us, is larger than us, is more fancy than us, let's rejoice in God's work in and through that church and give God all the praise and glory. When another person preaches better than me or sings better than me, which is not hard to do, by the way, let, let's not compare ourselves but rejoice in the blessing of the ministry of others. For what we should want more than anything else, what, what, what should give us complete joy more than anything else, is to see people recognize the bridegroom, that people might devote themselves wholly to him and follow him and desire to be a virgin, pure and holy and blameless for him, even if it means someone else is more prominent or someone else is more successful than we are. As the end of the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray, for the kingdom, the power and the glory isn't yours and mine, but God's. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.